Welcome to the Institute Journal Podcast. This is a podcast series where we discuss published articles with authors and provide a forum for the open exchange of ideas, information, and solutions. I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Brandon Cox, Senior Editor of the Institute Journal. With us is Chago Zapata, Managing Editor of the Institute Journal. Sergeant First Class is Valdo Akite, the NCIC of the Institute Journal. And special guest, Captain Hallie Freeman, the Operations Officer of the Army University Press. Today we discuss the article, What If Soldiers Acted Their Wage? with First Sergeant Anthony J. Burroughs. The Alpha Company, 707th Military Intelligence Battalion, 706 Military Intelligence Group, Fort Eisenhower, Georgia. Before we kick things off, First Sergeant, could you please tell us a bit about yourself? Good morning, Staff Sergeant Cox and esteemed guests. Hello, I'm First Sergeant Anthony J. Burroughs. I was born in Washington, D.C. and grew up in Southern Maryland. I joined the Army in July 2008 and attended basic training at Fort Knox, Kentucky, which is no longer a basic training. I joined as a 97 Echo, an interrogator, which is now 35 Mike, human intelligence collector. Graduated from AIT and was first assigned to the 202nd Military Intelligence Battalion and had multiple deployments where I got to do interrogation operations, strategic debriefing, and was introduced to the wonderful world of intelligence operations. In the middle of my career, I decided to become a 35 Papa linguist and join the SIGINT community. I got was given the language of Pashto at the Defense Language Institute uh, and the, at the Presidio of Monterey. And for the time since, I've been dedicated to the SIGINT enterprise. I had a short break in that where I served as a drill sergeant and senior drill sergeant back at the Defense Language Institute, giving back to making future linguists that I knew would be awesome soldiers in my army. Now I am sitting as a first sergeant in Alpha Company and enjoying the fruits of the dedication because many of my soldiers were used to be my trainees. Currently, I'm working on my master's in public administration, which was my lead into how I got into this article and interested and human resource management and leadership in our force and a theoretical and policy perspective. I'm currently married to my spouse, Ross Burroughs, who's a prior Siginter and the Air Force. And my hobbies include gaming, reading lots and lots of books, and culinary enterprises. Well, it's an honor to have you first, aren't Thank you. And now we'll introduce our special guest, Captain Freeman. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? So I'm Captain Freeman. I originally enlisted into the Army National Guard as a 31 Bravo before I decided to commission in 2014. Um, my most recent assignment was company command, and I think that's where I can provide most of my um, perspective on this wonderful article moving forward. Currently the operations officer for Army University Press. Thank you, ma'am. So we have a lot to talk about. This article has generated um, a lot of buzz on social media, and it's been a, a topic for discussion amongst our crew here at the Institute Journal. But first, first start, just kind of tell us what inspired you to write about on this topic. Uh, getting more into the policy analysis and understanding human resource management in the force, which is one of the major driving factors. Coming out of COVID and being a drill sergeant in COVID, I was exposed to seeing different levels of motivation in soldiers and in our workforce as we all went through that significant change. I noticed some trends after that and the effort that certain service members put in. And while I was on social media, found the Instagram footages of quiet quitting, taking the world by storm. I started to doing 
some research and found that industry was responding, trying to figure out how to deal with quiet quitting after the great resignation in 2021, where a good portion of our labor force in America decided just not to go to work anymore. Uh, the stress wasn't working it worth it. The pay wasn't worth it. So we have the remaining force. Unfortunately, the Department of the Army did not have that issue. We did not have a major loss of personnel during COVID. We actually had the exact opposite. We had a lot of individuals who decided to stay in and serve. But what about the quality of the work that those soldiers were doing? Were those soldiers top standard performers? Were they exceeding standards, far exceeding standards? Or did we have a large force of met standard soldiers? And how was that affecting our force? How did unmotivated trainees I saw continue in the service and re-enlist in the service in the same time period. What does that look like for the direct level leaders trying to lead those soldiers? And what does that mean for the army when fighting in a very, very mercurial world, trying to deal with multiple threats and we and needing the best of all of our personnel? Can you explain in your own words, your definition of the phrase quiet quitting and how it kind of relates to your article? So for me, quiet quitting isn't when a soldier is derelict in their duties. It is not a soldier failing to obey a lawful order. Quiet quitting is when a soldier is just met standards. Many of us have seen the soldier that's about to retire or about to ETS and just on a glide path out doing the bare minimum. And for new soldiers, we have many soldiers who fly under the radar. They aren't excelling, but they're not getting in trouble. What happens when that atypical situation becomes the reality for many of our younger soldiers who want to only do what the army is going to pay them for. So I guess that's the question, right? The, what harm does uh, come comes out of just doing the bare standard? Is, is there a problem with that? What do you think, Cam Freeman? So I, I don't necessarily think there's a problem with just doing the standard that is set across the army, right? Like we tell them their job, this is what we expect of them, and they do that. Like we can't downgrade their achievements at that point, right? You can't say you've done a bad job, but I think you have to find a way to motivate these soldiers to want to do better and to want to do more than the standard and stay in past their initial term. So I guess the question is, is how do you incentivize that? So how do you make these soldiers want to not quite quit? I guess I'm trying to still grasp what the... I mean, I understand it, right? Like, I, I get it. I can see down the road that if everybody just did the standard, we would have a degraded army. But, I mean, I guess what would be the short-term kind of effects of, of just everybody just doing this, the standard? So I'll come from it from direct-level leadership, just like uh, the ma'am here coming from company command. Our army is pivoting to focusing on direct-level leaders after the Fort Cavazos episode and the People First Initiative, the lowest echelon that is getting the most amount of most amount of attention are company and below. This is my squad, night in my squad efforts, correct? So we have leaders who are being told, E5s and E6s, the enlisted force belongs to you. The critical failures that affect the quality of life of our soldiers and their continued mission in the Army starts with you. This is coming from the same cohort of individuals who most of them are on their first term, just became a non-commissioned officer, and the Army has now put that stress upon them to deal with. The generational change and the motivation that they need and the care that those soldiers need, that is an extremely 
monumentous challenge to put on a new accession. And the reason why quiet quitting can negatively impact the force, because when we go to these small teams and we ask them how lack of motivation can impact them, some examples would be like, I have a hard charger for sergeant, goes to the board, volunteers for everything, every detail, stays late for work and does the extra tasks. Maybe they're not getting promoted because points aren't going where they're going. So they're giving, in many cases, 120%, picking up the slack that the MET standard soldiers are leaving behind and being selected specifically because they're a higher achiever to achieve extra tasks, becoming task saturated. So we have a high performing soldier that has extreme potential. And because his peers or their peers are deciding to quiet quit, they now get burnt out in their first term. So a large portion of the individuals that we lose in initial term of session are individuals who gave their all and saw their MET standard soldiers getting the same PCS awards, getting the same recognition, getting no benefits from it, and decided that this isn't worth it. Burning myself out, putting the stress on my family, putting the stress on myself is not worth it. In a recent Department of the Army Career Management survey, DACES, the most recent one, it's the effects on personal relationships at 26% was the most important reason why to leave the Army. Right after that was the impact on significant others' careers, plans for children, and well-being. All of this is how a soldier feels and perceives their effects in the Army. So once that negative effect of burnout and stress piles up on our high performer, all that the Army has left to retain at this point in time, because they've talked themselves out of staying in the Army, is the met standard soldier and that met standard soldier may be like i can do this it's not stressful i can re-enlist for another six years the army doesn't have a retention problem we've been doing really well at meeting our retention goals what we have not captured is the quality of soldier that we're retaining a recent rand study came out and said the department of the army does not have a performance assessment for any soldiers, especially in the enlisted category, that's below the grade of E6. That is true. If you think about it, we are only competitively evaluated when we get to centralized boards. We are not like the Air Force or the Navy. Our junior level soldiers do not get evaluations and get continuously assessed on a monthly basis outside of our counseling process. So there's no metric to hold them to standards when they first come in to show that they're not quiet quitting, other than our brand new under 25 non-commissioned officer who's a team leader conducting an end of month counseling going, I don't think you're going as hard, you haven't done anything wrong, but try, try to do more next month. And that is a huge challenge because we are losing our extremely talented individuals and our force is sustaining itself off of individuals who will show up, press the buttons, be in the right place, the right uniform, and not disrespectful, and then go home. I think that this, uh, what, exactly what you were saying resonates with me a lot. This is coming from Staff Sergeant Cox, okay? When I, when I joined, you know, I was, I was real hard charger. I was always trying to do the maximum. Every, what everybody wanted me to do, right? Go to Soldier Month Board. I think I went four times. I went to my first promotion board, got a first time go. I, I had all of my correspondence. I was trying to go to college. I was working 12 hour days. I was doing as much as I could, learning as much about my job as I could. And then when I went to the board, it was like, they didn't ask me anything about my job. 
it didn't really matter how good I was at work, just that I did the thing, you know, at the end of the day that I didn't screw up. Right. And that's all you had to do to get by. But nobody really cared if you were extremely proficient at your job. That didn't add to any of my points and it didn't go on paper. So if anybody's going to look at me for promotion, it didn't matter. And then if I went to the board, it didn't matter. They didn't ask me anything about my job. They asked me about army things and that's, that's fine. That's good too. We should all know that. But I think that that created a problem for me because it let me know that no matter how hard I work at being very proficient, um, it was never going to be recognized even with an award. And it wasn't until I finally reclassed that I realized that the quality of life changes that I, I could make, I had to make myself because I wasn't going to get promoted. And it was just the way that it was. But once I reclassed, I got promoted, and then I found I basically gave myself my, that award, right, for doing good. Um, and I think that that was my biggest issue, where I think a lot of soldiers would have just left the Army, which I think ties into what you were saying. So I'm going to take that and run with it, because, okay. right, Sergeant Cox is really good at his job, right? So how do I incentivize that he's really good at his job? And so something that we did with my first sergeant in company command is we would go up to said Sergeant Cox, hey, I think you're really good at what you're doing. Would you want to teach a class? If you said yes, cool. If you said no, cool. I wasn't going to pressure you. But we gave you an opportunity to share your wealth and your knowledge. But then at the end of the day of our training, we recognized you for that. So you would get a coin. You would get an award. You would get a pass. We would take that and run with it because we didn't want you to feel like you were underutilized and that you were going above and beyond for no reason. So... What we're talking about is extrinsic motivators for soldiers. And just like the ma'am said, direct level leaders across the Army are rising to the challenge of creating local SOPs and creating a, a reward and award culture that supports exceptional individuals. It takes one bad leader who isn't doing that, and we can lose soldiers' talent. It takes one bad leader who is a quiet quitter that soldiers will emulate and decide to leave the force. It only takes one. So soldiers who have an amazing command team for the 18 months that their commander or two years that their first sergeant may be in the seat loves it. They fall in love with the army. They fall in love with their organization. And then that command team rotates out and the exact opposite rotates into place. That soldier is going to be exposed to that dichotomy and many of them can't deal with that stress. In the DASIS surveys, at least 40% of the respondents said they dealt with an extreme amount of stress and were overworked. That's almost half of our army who feels extremely stressed and overworked. So sometimes the extrinsic motivators don't reach deep enough to get that intrinsic motivation. And intrinsic motivation is what we need in a force to eradicate quiet quitting because our army does an amazing job, an amazing service to the citizens of the United States of America. We provide for public good, for their defense, for a myriad of things, things that are classified that they don't know about and things that they know about even down to providing relief during a hurricane. That's what our soldiers do. So they, the citizens of the U.S. do not need met standard soldiers when they're dealing with those issues. They deserve the soldiers who will go above and beyond. And when soldiers go through basic training, that indoctrination is there. That character investment is there. The uh, cognitive shift that we drive into soldiers to get them to think in the Army values, to think in of the warrior mindset is there. After basic training, it's no longer there. 
And we stop dealing with soldiers and we start dealing with employees. And when you have an employee, there's only so many awards that you can give, which is only a ribbon on the chest. There's so many passes that you can give, which is just more time for a soldier to be exposed to their family, to realize the stress that they deal with at work maybe isn't worth it enough. There's only so much that a local leader can do when they say what I'm being paid is not worth it. 40% 40% of our, our force is junior enlisted soldiers. 50% of our force is E5 and below. Looking at the numbers, the only ones who are getting paid possibly for their wage are soldiers who decided to marry and have kids. For everybody else stuck in the barracks, they're still making that base pay. And for our high achievers who are in the barracks, GAO, the Government Accountability Office, did an inspection of the Department of Defense's barracks management and pretty much came up that the Department of Defense has been possibly lying about how we manage our barracks, not understanding the barracks issues, not assessing and investing in the barracks, things that soldiers have known since they've been enlisted in the United States Army. It took a government accountability office to come in and inspect and say we need to do better with the barracks. At the same time, the Department of the Army still mandates that anybody E5 and below lives in the barracks. Our initial accessions organization, our sister services allow individuals to leave the barracks at E3 and E4, but our junior level leaders who are now getting the most amount of responsibilities are still being forced to live in substandard living conditions. And I fully appreciate that Sergeant Major of the Army doing his quality of life uh, testimony to the subcommittee spoke to the fact that we are going to address barracks, but it's not a today thing that's going to get done. So in the time that I get a new soldier into my organization, they will live in substandard barracks conditions until they ETS. I am two iterations away from having barracks that my junior population, who is single, that makes up half of this force, is willing to possibly serve in. So I, as a direct level leader, can provide rewards and awards, but if I have to go home every single night to a barracks room after working 12-hour shifts, doing something that is extremely stressful, and my ceiling leaks, my windows are broken, it's poorly lit, I have mold growing that I aggressively have to clean or else I can't breathe. For them, that's a tough sell. And direct level leaders, it's a tough sell to try to maintain that extrinsic motivation when the intrinsic motivation just can't get a leg underneath them. You're pointing to a lot of problems um, because it's not an easy fix, but uh, the majority of our audience are are NCOs. So I guess what what can NCOs do to help on the on the intrinsic and extrinsic motivation side? I, I personally think that you know NCOs need to be involved and get to know their soldiers. And sometimes it could be incentive can be. I mean, there's some things you can't do anything about, like like the 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 barracks. I mean, that's 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 money. That's things that you can't really affect. But things you can affect are, are things like keeping your soldiers informed. If you don't say or tell them anything. And then you just give them orders and tell them they need to do this, and they don't know what they're doing. They're not buying into what the mission is. They're not. They're just. They're just kind of kept in the dark. So it could be something as small as that, but also you know getting to know them, what makes them tick, and then maybe finding ways to encourage them that'll get them to do more than just a standard. 
Yes, um, 100% agree. And I believe the Army has understood that in the People First Initiative, which is why we have the investment in holistic health and fitness and the People First Initiative. So for the first time since I've been in the Army, FM 6-22 was updated, and it's for the junior level leader. It's like a leadership Bible, um, for the lack of better words. It has so many challenges and issues, so many resources. When I became an E5 NCO and was told I had to lead soldiers, that is exactly what happened. You went to BLC, you ran around, you did land nav, you graduated, congratulations, here's your team. The efforts that the Army has made to invest in doctrine that goes to transformative leadership and uh, servant leadership and put that into doctrine and not only speak to it, but give instructions and resources to our junior leaders is phenomenal. The squad leader R2 initiative, where they go through the week-long squad leader course, is phenomenal. The level of investment that we're giving to these junior leaders is amazing. But to speak to the previous uh, comment, there are challenges that those direct leaders can't address. We can't address the barracks issues, which is a, a major impact on the quality of life of our soldiers. We can't address HR issues when pay offices and the Department of the Army bureaucracy through IPSA are trying to deal with bugs and a soldier is dealing with pay issues for six to seven to eight months. As we work through this, we can't affect that other than aggressively communicating. These are real challenges that impacts the reality of that soldier. Something that we can do, and that's when I'm going to go back to the indoctrination, indoctrination piece, is actually get soldiers intrinsically motivated about being in the army and being a soldier. We often talk about the profession of arms, but many of our soldiers don't think of themselves as soldier professionals. They think of themselves as technical professionals. I am a professional infantryman. I am a professional medical individual. I am a professional human resources individual. But when we if we drive home the indoctrination, the love that we should have for this army and what we do, and that I'm a professional soldier, and then everything else is an additional addition onto it, much like our creeds say, much like many of our MOS creeds say, that's where we win. Because if we can get that underlying intrinsic motivation to be centered on the army, the future of the army, and the defense of the nation, that cognitive shift is what will drive future leaders and stop quiet quitting. Because if you understand the impact you are having not on, on the U.S., but on the world, it's hard to quit on that. It's hard to not find an inner reserve of strength when sometimes a day just feels like it's never going to end. And a keystone to that is when you look at the senior non-commissioned officer corps across across our force. Our force, for the most part, has been called the best educated force at the time, but still treated the majority as individuals who just have some college and are high school graduates. We have some of the most educated senior non-commissioned officers in the world. These are individuals who have bachelor's degrees and master's degrees who are applying dedicated time and intelligence towards solving soldier issues and thinking critically about that at a level that is technically above their pay grade. 
when we thought of sergeants majors and we thought of first sergeants and we thought of sergeants first class, the Army was not thinking of them with a bachelor's level degree and doing critical thinking and analysis at the bachelor's level. They were thinking of a high school graduate taking care of a number of soldiers. So we were talking about management, not leadership, not critical thinking. But that's what we're bringing to the force now. And I believe that the senior non-commissioned officer have given support non-commissioned officers if given support by the United States Army can drive indoctrination from BCT through to direct level leaders and support them in those efforts. For example, right now senior staff are the only individuals that go on staff rides. So when we have staff rides, you get exposed to military culture. Yes, you get exposed to battlefield analysis um, and higher level war principles, but you understand what your army did in a historical place and time, the reasons and the passion behind that. And you're taken away kind of from the flagpole to a certain degree, and you're allowed to build stronger ties. Our soldiers aren't exposed to that. Most of our soldiers outside of what they learn for the boards are not steeped in army history. They don't understand why the army flag has so many battle streamers. They don't understand the sacrifices that they stand on. They don't understand everybody that wore the uniform before them is a reason why they wear the uniform today. And if we get soldiers to understand that and we move from employees to professional soldiers, who want to bear arms, that is a change that stops quiet quitting in our force. Because the real logic, the real math, the real economics is we will never be able to pay our soldiers what they are worth. There is no dollar amount for someone that voluntarily raises their hand and says, put me in harm's way, and I understand that my life may be lost. I agree, right? For certain, like When you think about it, how do you change this so something that me and my first sergeant did in command and we took a different approach is yes the monotony of training is training at the end of the day we have a mission we have to train but what else do we need to work on as people if we know some of these kids are going to get out of the army what can i do to make you a better individual overall that's not focused on the army do you want to volunteer do you want to go to college do you want to do something physical like what do you, what do you want to do with your life. If it if it's not in the army, what is something that you professionally and personally want to develop as? And so we took that and it's just getting down into the weeds and just really asking these soldiers, what what do you want? What do you expect? What do you want to see? Even the even to the aspect of training, what do you want to train on? How do you want to train on it? So how do we get these people, these soldiers, better individuals all around, show them that we do care? Show them that they can be something bigger than themselves, even if it isn't in the Army. What can we do to help you progress in your personal and professional career in your life? And so we took that approach, and then with that approach, we incentivized that. So, hey, you read a military history book? Tell me about it. What did you learn? Great. Here's, here's an award for that, or here's a coin, or here's some, a day off. You know, Go spend time with your family. Birthdays, holidays, anniversaries. You told me well in advance, you got those days off because at the end of the day, those are more important than what's going on to take your time away to work a shift in the jail. So if we had to work a shift in the jail for them to have a day off for their birthday, we would do that. If they had a night class, we would work with their schedule and we would make sure that they were at their night class. So how do you make them better overall as an individual? It can help them want to stay in the Army 
because you've shown that, hey, this, this person does care about me. This person does see me as more than a soldier and as an individual who, who cares about my future. So I think it does, at the end of the day, yes, it boils down to the climate and the environment that we create for our soldiers and want to be in because myself and my first sergeant were taking college classes at the same time. So, hey, if we can do it, you can do it. If we're volunteering, you can volunteer, but you don't have to. But if you want to, this is where we'll be. But I think creating those opportunities for these young soldiers, because at the end of the day, I can't force you to stay in the Army, but you're going to go do whatever you want to do. Why not make the best of that person while you still have them? So you're just trying to mold and adapt these kids into something that they want to be and something that they feel proud of in themselves. Yeah, along with that point, and first aren't I was I was listening to a few things that you were saying. You're talking about staff rides. You're talking about history lessons. You're talking about that indoctrination process. We go through EO and Sharp at least once a year, right? Why not add another another training course where it's more about history? It's more about some indoctrination aspect uh, or team building. I think that that's a great idea. I, I would love that. It would not only teach me more about the army and the things that I should know about the army and things that past soldiers like me who, who've shared this uniform have also done, I think it'd give me more buy-in because now I'm more committed mentally or emotionally. I know there was one thing that I did and I'll never forget it. I was in, I was in Europe and it was about three months after I got there. I had just gotten there and my unit said, Hey, we're going to go to this thing. It's not a unit function, but like it's this weekend and we're going to go to Belgium. And if you want to go, it's about a six hour drive. You know, you take yourself, the unit's not funding it, but we'll all be there. Okay. It was a good trip. Um, we went, it was the 101st Airborne Walk. And I didn't know this, but Bastogne and the people of Bastogne put this on every year. And their love for the United States and our army is profound. The minute that we got there, they knew that we were, I guess, American and they cheered for us. Like they loved us just all of us, and they were shaking our hands and meeting with us and talking to us because they still remember that we say we helped save their country, right? That's what our guys did, like the 506 and all those guys. Have you ever seen Banner Brothers? So I actually got to go watch the, walk those trenches with the people of Bastogne as they were dressed up and, and driving around their willy jeeps and cooking spam over fires in, in the wintertime, and it was the best thing ever. But I got to see firsthand, so I learned a lot about our history, not just from watching a TV show, and walked it, and it was amazing. And I don't know why we don't do that more often or make unit trips to go do things like that. It drew a, a sense of pride yeah. that I think that that's what we're talking about when we're talking about indoctrination. I think maybe that might be the, the wrong word. It might be more accurate to, 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 to say to, as a way of instilling pride in the service, pride in the Army, pride in being a soldier. Uh, you know, having been a Marine, there's a very, very deep sense of pride in being a United States Marine. Do you have anything on that, First Sergeant? No, I, I 100% agree with all previous statements uh, from the MAMS, excellent examples on direct level leaders engaging and being adaptive and, and investing in soldiers, and especially the sociological approach of taking soldiers' uh, personal goals and personal talents and lacing those with the media army needs, understanding that there's a time when they will no longer serve, um, and that's perfectly fine. That's an excellent approach. I 100% believe, like Sergeant Cox, you said, more field trips with your unit would be an amazing investment in soldiers um, because mission is mission. 
but the welfare of the soldiers is extremely important. And we think of that most of the time as the care and feeding of soldiers, but sometimes that care needs to extend and like the very last statement and instilling pride in the organization, instilling pride in the uniform, pride in the history, pride in being a United States Army soldier. All of those things are excellent ways to get after quiet quitting. And unfortunately, like I said uh, in my article and in social media comments, there is no one perfect answer for this situation, unfortunately, because quiet quitting um, is a wicked problem. It's a problem that can't be answered 100% by our federal government. It's a problem that can't be answered by one awesome company command team who has their time in the sunshine and rotates out. Um, and it's multi-echelon and it's across space and time. And it will take us looking and assessing that problem every single day and trying to figure out how we do it. Unfortunately, the force is focused on accessions. Our money and resources for the most part are going to accessions and the money and resources that are going are going to quality of life efforts that affects one half of the force. So our, our army families are getting a major investment, which they deserve. Another reason why I wanted to bring up quiet quitting because it highlights that half of this force is still single and they deserve that investment as well. They deserve their time to be appreciated for the efforts that they bring to the fight. And they shouldn't be taken for granted in that effort. Just to move this on a little bit, um, I did hear a lot of things you're, you know, we've been talking about. I think we've been making some progress here. And I think anybody who listens can could actively pull something out to create a creative solution to try and help with some of those quiet quitting soldiers. But I did notice that in your article, uh, you did cite an NPR article uh, saying that if you want people to go above and beyond, compensate them for it. That was something that you highlighted. I was wondering if you are implying that we need to move to some sort of monetary incentive program. Of course. Um, that was an excellent poll from the article when I saw that to pay them pay them that extra $200. Uh, that It made me smile thinking of my soldiers. Like you'd get an extra $200 and my volunteer hands list up would be extremely high. Looking um, at how the DOD does analysis of pay and how they target it, we do give bonuses for specific things. Where we have weaknesses, we push money towards it. So we have weaknesses currently in the sessions, we push money towards the sessions. We have weaknesses in our medical community. So a lot of our medical professionals, they get a bonus just by the nature of doing their jobs. We have individuals who do recruiting duty, jump duty. So there's specific pay attached to the weaknesses the Army wants to show up, and we use that as the incentive. What is missing is the performance the performance-based pay initiative when I was kind of thinking of it because we can't have an unfinite number. So all of those things are attached to fixed numbers. We have a fixed number of amount of soldiers that we need. We have a fixed number of amount of physicians that we need. We have a fixed number amount of, of drill sergeants that we need. So I know what my final toll on SDAP would look like if we max it out. I know what all of the bonuses would look like if we gave out all of these uh, tiered bonuses. I know what that finite number is. The challenge that the force has with giving performance bonuses, for example, if we decided to employ uh, bonuses for individuals who became direct level leaders, right? So platoon sergeant or above, you would get paid an, 
duty bonus for taking on that duty. Many of the individuals that we deal with do not want to lead. I uh, believe the same DASA study that I rated before, our junior soldiers 100% do not want to be in leadership positions. And I think one of the major reasons why they don't want to be in leadership positions is because they see the stress and effects that it has on the leaders, and there's no incentive to do it. They don't see the incentive to do it. So if the Army decided to have a direct leader bonus for individuals that are in direct level leadership who are now the focus of the grind and the solvency of the force, uh, the individuals who they know will ensure that this force can be as lethal as possible. So that company command team, that platoon sergeant, the echelon that we're now looking at and investing in, if we further invest in them, we know how many company command teams we need across the force. We can estimate from that how many platoon sergeants we will have from that. I believe the Department of the Army can get to a number to get a direct level leader bonus. And what does that do for the force? One, it incentivizes soldiers with a monetary value to actually want to lead. And much like it does for special duty pay, it does it does help alleviate financially your sacrifice and your family's sacrifice for dealing with that extra amount of stress and dedication to time. Because like the ma'am can attest, even though you are a company commander, you do not get extra money, but you do spend more of your time with, with your soldiers, with your organization. Um, so I believe that that type of investment could assist. And it puts leadership in a positive light because soldiers, when they think of leaders, they think of their platoon sergeants, they think of the first NCO that they see, they think of their company commander who is out there with them training. When soldiers think of leaders, they're not thinking of Sergeant Major of the Army, they're not thinking of their brigade commander, their battalion commander, because if they see them, that's typically a problem. Um, there's usually an announcement that they're about to hear and maybe they don't want to hear it or they're usually in trouble. But leaders who they have the most positive affinity with are those direct level leaders. And I think they could be rewarded financially for that. So I 100 percent agree. I think that you're right when it comes to putting soldiers in leadership. They don't want to do it because it is high stress. They see the other people do it. Um, one thing that we found that worked is we were able to give some money back to those who we thought deserved it. Um, it didn't come from SFRG. It didn't come from our pockets. It came from outside organizations that we volunteered with, like AUSA, Special Forces Association. Uh, we were able to fundraise money through them to give back to soldiers who we felt deserved. And there was one, we did it over the holidays, so that it was around Christmas time. They kind of got like almost like a Christmas bonus across six different soldiers. We were able to give back $2,500 for their efforts and their families based off of their performance and we kind of did it around the holidays just based on that's a stressful time anyway for those soldiers receiving the bare minimum that is in the barracks or whether it be on post housing. Um, but every year while we were in command, we reached out to these organizations and these partner organizations and we built a community of trust with them that ultimately helped our soldiers in the wrong, in the long run. So we recognized a list that from their peers were almost like volunteered. They were voted upon. So Sergeant Cox felt that Sergeant Akite did a really great job. Their peers came forward. We put it out through the platoon leadership and they came back to us and they were like, we feel like they went above and beyond what is asked of them. And the, this is why they deserve it. And so we were able to do that in a way that we had to go through legal aspects, of course, to make sure that this was okay and we could do this and give this money to these soldiers. But I think there are ways 
But at the end of the day, you're you're right. It's not going to come down to one company command team or one set of leadership. It's going to have to be through across the army that leaders are willing to just put in the extra work for their soldiers and go above and beyond and try to make this, you know, a better place to work at the end of the day and and to be able to give back. There's you're right. There's no one simple fix to to how we're going to solve this. This is going to be a long-term fight. It's going to be something that the army's constantly battling. But as leaders, we have to look internal to ourselves and how do we take care of our soldiers the best that we know how while we're in those positions. The best words that any non-commissioned officer could ever hear from their officer counterpart came out of your mouth and is that soldiers are the one that matter. Soldiers are the ones that do the work. You, that philosophy right there is, I believe, that that cultural shift that starts driving that cultural shift across the, our organizations, across our army from the bottom to the top. If that was the honest feeling of every single leader across our force, I think that's a good starting point to address many of the concerns that we've brought up today. Um, so I'm glad to hear that not only my battle buddy and I have that <laughs> that same ideal that it's all the way out in Fort Leavenworth as well. Now, I did want to shift this a little bit for a I think on the end, kind of go over some of the social media comments that we got in that we pulled in this week and just kind of get your idea on it. There was a commenter in particular with interesting feedback. Uh, Charles Edward Brainerd commented on Facebook, this is not a new problem. Pay for enlisted grades has never been what we might term competitive with equivalent civilian jobs. It is likely that it never will. When he was uh, challenged to provide a solution, he wrote, remember, the military is not competing for mid-career professionals, but for entry-level or recent high school grads. The focus has to be on skills for life. The number of people I work with who have no idea what the military life taught them is concerning. What are your thoughts on that, First Sergeant? So his data points aren't incorrect. Uh, the numbers bear it out. Uh, most of our force is junior, our junior soldiers' first accessions, um, and we have caps. We have constant, we have legal caps in our senior non-commissioned officer ranks, which impose caps on our mid-grade uh, non-commissioned officers. Um, the officer cohort has the same issue. Congress tells us this is how many you get. You can't get any more. So there's there's that natural stopping point. Um, and then we have our manning needs in the semi-centralized and decentralized. Uh, realm. So he's not wrong about what the army needs. The army needs foot soldiers for the lack of better terms. We need a large force and that force is our junior soldiers. That means we are getting individuals without life experience because our targeted group are individuals who are coming from high school and the quality of that individual has drastically increased. So we are getting more educated individuals with high school and some college what that means when we have that educated, that more educated workforce in the army, our soldiers are smarter. They're smarter than their civilian counterparts. Um, so they are very much aware of their worth and of how they're being paid, but they do lack, lack life skills. So there is that aspect um, that direct level leaders need to be aware of. Unfortunately, many of our direct level leaders are learning those life skills in a similar timeline. The soldiers that they end up leading could have been in the AIT class right before theirs based on um, the timelines for those first stripes to go on their chest for that first corporal or E5 to get a team. So that challenge is very much there. Um, the reality is Exactly like you said about the investment in the mid-career non-commissioned officer cohort. Um, 
as far as it being a new problem, it is a relatively new problem because, like I said, we've all experienced individuals who uh, work under the radar. We all experience individuals who were just writing who were just writing their time out to uh, retire or to ETS. But when it becomes the norm across the army, that is a problem. And just like the ma'am said, you can't you can't fire someone for just doing their job. Uh, but the effects on other people who have to do more, who have to support the unit's SFRG, who have to uh, go out, who feel the need to go out and volunteer and be voices for the Army, who volunteers for uh, hometown recruiting, who volunteer to go to competition boards. All of this still drives Army culture. A lot of Army culture is volunteer-based. And we need those volunteers. Portions of truth to what he said um, and awareness about the life skills. The Army is addressing some of those programs, uh, nutrition and H2F. Those life skills are a focus of H2F. There's a whole chapter on how you should be sleeping correctly, um, which is very much needed, especially by our junior force. Uh, Most leaders know that our soldiers don't know how to sleep well. Um, to see the Army invest on quality sleep uh, at an early stage with H2F is awesome to see across the H2F portions. Excellent. Uh, we got a comment from Cole Schwartz from Facebook, and he had kind of a varied opinion on the topic. He stated, this is a new problem. This isn't the Army from the 1980s. Low employment, a different attitude of young people, and a population that doesn't trust the military or the U.S. government presents a unique challenge for recruiting Army volunteers. I'm paraphrasing here, but he adds that most of our prior service families provided new recruits, while presently they no longer recommend serving. Is this comment something you can relate to? What are your thoughts? So that's very true, and even Sergeant Major of the Army spoke to that fact. Uh, the Army is a family business, and we've been sur- in recent history, we've been surviving off of recruits who come from Army families or military families in general. That comment got some more comments and a further conversation I've had with some individuals offline specifically about that because I wanted to know, um, is this actively being vetted out that our leaders are telling their children not to join the force? And I did get similar feedback from some of my superiors and from some of my peers because many of us did fight in Iraq. Many of us did fight in Afghanistan. Um, and there are personal feelings relating to how those alter those wars uh, ended, and what they feel like their worth was, and what that means for their child and the future. So I did get some interesting responses to that, um, and the reality bears out that, yeah. Once our leaders and people in the army decide that my children deserve to do something outside of the force and tell them that, they most likely will not join the army uh, because the army is a family business. And that's a unique challenge. The response uh, from the army has been to do a culture blanket externally uh, for our sessions. And what we've previously talked about is doing that culture blanket internally to address quiet, quiet quitting. But right now we are externally focused on selling the army. And another issue that we've had with soldiers is what's being sold to them 
is one thing. And when they start work, it's totally different. Um, so I think the Army needs to 100% take a look at what we're selling uh, to ensure that the workforce that we do get is not jaded. We have to be wary of that because many, many soldiers get to their first duty station and 100% say, this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't the army that I was told I would be joining. Um, so our media campaign, our, our propaganda arm, for lack of better terms, just has to be a little bit more refined and a little bit more honest, um, which I think we can be because we do amazing things and we just have to capture it correctly. What's what's the one thing that you want all NCOs to get out of your article if they read it? The one thing I would like for NCOs to get out of the problem is that we have to be true to our creed. Um, we are the professionals. We are the individuals who will drive the mission because we are the majority of this force. And we are the individuals who have to care for these soldiers. And the only way to do that is to be engaged, to be leaders who listen, to be leaders who are empathetic, to be servant leaders, but to also realize that that sacrifice to your soldiers is to your soldiers for the army. Uh, this isn't just about us. It just isn't about our soldiers. It is about being the most lethal fighting force and the shield for our nation. And that is a sacred duty. And that sanctity needs to be taken seriously and appreciated um, that we are not a nine to five job, that the volunteer force is a volunteer force that volunteered to serve and sacrifice. It just wasn't a W4 and an agreement to serve. But at the same time, 100% understand that the army is not for everyone. And we don't divest ourselves of soldiers who don't want to make an Army career. We look at them. We see their talents, their potentials, find out where they want to go. We take the best of them, keep building them up, use their talents in the Army, and help them find their next footing in the civilian world. And I just want to say to the non-commissioned officer corps is that we are the workhorses. It is an underappreciated job for what we do. And unfortunately, we have to show each other the appreciation that we are deserving of. So build each other up, build your soldiers up, and fully own the responsibility of the stripes on our chest. Thank you, First Sergeant, for joining us. And a thank you to our audience. Remember to put your knowledge to the page, submit articles, and get published with the Institute Journal. Don't forget to check out our webpage and follow us on social media. Catch you next time on the Institute Journal Podcast.